Hey guys, it's the True Crime Taurus Hannah here with my second True Crime Podcast. Today, I'm going to be covering the murder of Skylar Niece, aka the Twitter murder, aka the frenemy murder. This is a long one, so let's just jump right into it. This story revolves around a group of three friends in West Virginia, Skylar Niece, Rachel Showoff, and Sheila Eady. Skylar Niece and Sheila Eady had been friends since they were really young. They met in elementary school and were inseparable. Skylar's parents both remember Sheila coming over to their house and not even knocking on the door. She would just come on in because it was like she was part of the family. I can relate to this because I remember going over to my friend's house and knowing what their garage code was to get into the house or walking in and going straight up to my friend's room without knocking because we were just that close. I'm pretty sure everyone has a friend like that that they grew up with. Sheila was outgoing and flirtatious and would definitely be described as an alpha type personality. She tended to call the shots in the relationship. Skylar, on the other hand, was goofy and bubbly, but a little bit more of a follower. Skylar and Sheila were attached at the hip, it seemed, with Sheila being the wild child that got into trouble and rebelled against her parents who were divorced, and Skylar oftentimes being the voice of reason, but always going along with what Sheila wanted to do. In high school, Skylar and Sheila became a trio when they met Rachel Showoff. Rachel is described as being full of energy, artistic, She was raised in kind of a strict Catholic household. She was part of the school theater club, and it was her divorced parents, I think, that made her and Sheila really connect. On the surface, these three friends seemed perfect. They always hung out, laughing and having sleepovers, posting videos and pictures of each other all over social media. This was around 2010, 2011 or so, so Instagram was just becoming really big, Snapchat. But as they say, three is a crowd. The three friends started experiencing this kind of power struggle. Sheila was obviously the alpha. There was no question about that. But it seemed like Rachel and Skylar were always fighting to be closer to Sheila. Of course, they were never out in the open about it. The fighting always was done in sneaky or passive-aggressive ways. We see a lot of their fighting or talking about each other on Twitter. um, But I will get into that later. Sheila seemed to love this. She milked all the attention that she got and actively tried to turn Rachel and Skylar against each other. By the fall of 2012, it looked like Sheila was a lot closer to Rachel, with Skylar normally trailing along. They would put Skylar in difficult positions and make her feel really uncomfortable. Skylar writes in her diary about how one time at a sleepover, the three of them stole alcohol from Rachel's parents' kitchen and got really drunk and locked themselves in Rachel's room. Then she writes that Rachel and Sheila started making out and getting really physical, and she felt like she had no choice but to sit there while they messed around because if she left Rachel's room, they would all get in trouble. Two weeks later, Skylar tweeted, quote, I'd tell the whole school all the shit I have on everyone, which is a lot. Hashtag, if I could get away with it. One student who was in theater with Rachel remembers a time when Rachel was on the phone laughing and pulled him over to listen. She was listening in on an argument between Skylar and Sheila, where Sheila had secretly added Rachel in as a three-way caller to hear the argument. This, to me, sounds exactly like Mean Girls. Sheila and Rachel were going out of their way to mock and make fun of stuff that was bothering Skylar in their friendship, 
and this only becomes more awful when you find out how everything else unfolds. Skyler, unfortunately, disappeared on July 6th of 2012. The story goes that she was working a night shift at her job at Wendy's. When she got home from work, she was pretty tired. She decided that she wanted to turn in early for the night, so she kissed her mom and dad goodnight, told them both that she loved them, and went upstairs. This would be the last time they would see their daughter alive. The next day, her parents got up and went to work, and at some point in the early afternoon, her dad came home. When he noticed that Skylar's door was still shut to her bedroom, he shouted in something along the lines of, Skylar, you can't lay in bed all day, you need to get up, you know, how dads do when you're sleeping in. But when he opened her bedroom door, she wasn't there and the bed had not been slept in. This seemed weird to him, but it wasn't until he got a call from Wendy's a little bit later that he got really worried. Skylar's boss had called her parents to tell them that Skylar had never shown up for her 4 o'clock shift and asked when she was coming in. This was when her parents really started to panic, and her dad finally called 911. I have a daughter that's 16 years old. Apparently, she snuck out of her room last night, and she hasn't been seen since. None of her friends can get all over. I can't find her. Hey, what's her name? Skylar Neese. Around this time, her parents were trying to figure out where their daughter had gone. If she had ran away, why she left, if someone had taken her, anything to find an answer. They started to notice little clues in her room that made them think that she didn't run away and she had perhaps snuck out and was intending to return. First, her mother noticed that Skylar left her contact lenses and her contact solution, her phone charger, her makeup, and her hair straightener. If Skylar was running away, she would have most definitely taken these things. She was attached to her phone, so she would take her charger, and she was a 16-year-old girl who hated her curly hair so she would have taken her hair straightener. Sometime after this, Skylar's father also noticed that Skylar's bedroom window wasn't closed all the way. It was open just wide enough that someone could stick their fingertips underneath to get back in. He also later found that there was um, a little bench in their yard that could be used um, to boost you up to get back into the window. Because of all of this, they pretty much came to the conclusion that she had snuck out and was prepared to sneak back in. Sneaking out was something that she had done in the past. Um, one time she got in trouble with Sheila and Rachel for sneaking out and being out past curfew. In that moment, Skylar's parents remembered something that was crucial to the last moments of Skylar's life and what would later help convict who did this. They remembered that they had a surveillance camera on the outside of their home. It was there to catch any possible intruders, but instead caught Skylar just past 12.30 at night on the night of July 5th going into July 6th, hurrying over to a car that had been parked just across the street from their house. In the video, you see her emerge from the bottom of the screen, kind of jog over to the car, get in the back seat, and the car drives away. The image is too grainy and the car is too far away to see any license plate or make and model of the vehicle. So, Skylar's family and friends started doing what parents of missing children do. They made flyers, they created a Facebook page, they were in constant contact with the police, and were doing everything they could to find out where Skylar was. Days went by, no signs of Skylar. Some of the first people authorities wanted to talk to to get information was obviously Skylar's closest friends. 
Rachel and Sheila told police and Skylar's parents that Skylar had in fact snuck out with them that night around 11 p.m. because Rachel was going to be going to church camp the next day and the three of them wanted to go on a joy ride and smoke pot together before Rachel went to camp. But they both say that Skylar was dropped back off near her house at midnight. If that was the case, and if Skylar was back home at midnight, then who was she sneaking out to meet just past 12.30? I do want to mention the last couple tweets on Skylar's Twitter page on the days leading up to her disappearance. On July 4th, so a day and a half before she disappears, she tweets, quote, Sick of being at home. Thanks, friends. Love hanging out with you, too. Then at 10.48 p.m., the same night she went missing, so again, technically July 5th, she tweets, You doing shit like this is why I will never completely trust you. Of course, we can't say for sure if these last tweets were directed towards Rachel and Sheila, but their Twitter accounts were silent on the few days around Skylar's disappearance, with the exception of Sheila tweeting at 6.09 a.m. on July 6th, 2012, Always keep your cool. School started back up in August, and Skylar was still missing. Phone records show that Skylar's phone hadn't been used since the night of the disappearance. The search continued, and family was still active online, keeping the investigation alive. Sheila posted on Skylar's Facebook page, quote, Skylar, come back. I seriously can't deal with school without you. I miss you too much. On this post, Skylar's dad responded, She'll be home soon, honey. Love you. And she said, Love you too. There were rumors floating around the school about what had happened to Skylar. Most of the kids at school knew that Skylar had been with Sheila and Rachel earlier in the night that she had disappeared. Some people thought that maybe the three of them did some hard drugs and that Skylar had overdosed and died, and the two of them had somehow tried to hide the fact that Skylar died. Other rumors were that Skylar had run away and was selling drugs somewhere, or that maybe she had become a prostitute. Um, but the most popular rumor was the first one that the three of them had done drugs and it had gone terribly wrong. Sheila posted again on the Facebook page on October 2nd, 2012, quote, Skylar, sorry I haven't posted in a while. School has been taking up all my time. Me and Rachel miss you so much, especially at lunch. We sit at a table alone, come back so we don't have to look like loners, LOL, school is so hard without you. Actually, everything is hard without you. I seriously think about you 24-7 and miss talking to you on the phone day and night. I know you wouldn't like some of the things that are being said lately. The girls continued to be interviewed by police for various reasons. They were the last ones who saw Skylar alive. They were her best friends. Maybe they knew something about how Skylar was thinking and feeling and if maybe she had run away but the girls' behavior made them start to look like suspects themselves. Rachel was becoming more and more reserved during interviews. She seemed nervous and even rehearsed. Sheila, on the other hand, started being flirtatious during her interviews. Sometimes she would be dressed inappropriately or she would act too casual, just overall odd behavior from what the detectives were used to seeing in Friends of Missing Teenagers. During the interviews, Sheila and Rachel's stories would change. When they first talked about how they went joyriding that night, they told police that they went to one location, but when they ran the phone towers to see if any of their phones had pinged anywhere that night, 
Rachel and Sheila's phones both ping after 4 a.m. on July 6th in a totally different location. So then their stories would change. Oh, well, we didn't go there. We actually went here and so on. Police wanted Sheila and Rachel to go take polygraph tests. Sheila took hers and was overly confident about it. She had too much bravado during the polygraph, and I'm pretty sure she ended up failing it. Not that that actually means anything. Polygraph tests have been completely disproven. They don't prove anything. They're not admissible in court for a reason. But when Rachel was scheduled to come in to take her polygraph, she actually jumped out of her parents' moving vehicle and ran away to avoid taking the polygraph test. It was around this time that both girls were pulled out of school and had started being homeschooled because of all of the pressure from police and the pressure at school and all the rumors floating around. And on December 28, 2012, Mongolia County received a 911 call from Rachel's mother. It said, I have an issue with a 16-year-old daughter of mine. I can't control her anymore. She's hurting us. She's screaming. She's running through the neighborhood. Then there's a lot of background sound. You can't really hear what it sounds like, but it seems like Rachel's mom is running outside, and you hear her screaming, Give me the phone. Give me the phone. This is over. This is over. And then you hear Rachel screaming in the background. Then Rachel's mom gets back on with the 911 operator and says, My husband is trying to contain her. Please hurry. Rachel had clearly experienced some sort of anxiety attack or mental breakdown and was coming undone. That day, Rachel got admitted to the Chestnut Ridge Center, which was a mental health facility. The same afternoon at 5.25 p.m., Sheila tweets, quote, wow, literally worst day of my life. And then later on in the night at 10.32 p.m., she tweets, quote, ugh, hope my girl Rach is okay. Love you. On January 3rd of 2013, which is six months after Skylar has gone missing, Sheila went to go visit Rachel and posted a picture on Twitter of the two smiling with the caption, finally got to see Rach. What Sheila didn't know was that Rachel was wearing a wire. She had talked to her lawyer and the U.S. Attorney's Office and agreed to speak to them if they would offer her a deal. While she was wearing a wire that day, Sheila never said anything incriminating and they didn't get any information. A short time later, it was time for Rachel to come clean to the authorities they were fully expecting for Rachel to say that the three of them took drugs that night and Skylar went too far and died and the girls were afraid and scared to get in trouble, so they hid the body. But what they didn't expect was the first three words that came out of Rachel's mouth. We stabbed her. Rachel then proceeds to tell this long story in great detail about how in the spring of 2012, Sheila and Skylar were always fighting and Rachel and Sheila were getting closer, and one day when they were in class together, they were joking around and making fun of how annoying Skylar was to them, and one of them jokingly said, yeah, we should kill her. It first came off as a sick joke, but the two had this unspoken agreement about it. They began to create this plan that they would execute by the time Rachel went to camp that summer. The night of the disappearance, Rachel took a shovel from her father's house, and Sheila got knives from her mom's kitchen. They put the shovel some cleaning supplies, and a change of clothes in the trunk of Sheila's car and drove to Skylar's house. It was a hot night that night on July 5th, but Sheila and Rachel both wore big hoodies. Underneath the hoodies, they each had knives that were wrapped in rags so they wouldn't cut themselves. The car in the surveillance video at Skylar's parents' house is Sheila's car. They picked her up at 12.31 a.m. and drove just across the Pennsylvania state line where they had gone before to park and get high. Skylar brought her bong, 
with her, and Rachel brought her pipe, so Skylar really thought that the three were just going on a joyride. When they got to where they were going, they stopped at the edge of the woods and found a place to sit down on the ground. They apparently had forgotten to grab the lighter out of the car and made Skylar get up and go back to the car to grab the lighter. When Skylar got up, Rachel looked at Sheila and said, On three. The two quietly counted, One, two, three, and they began stabbing Skylar in the back. There was a bit of a struggle. At one point, Skylar actually got away from the other two and started running into the woods, but Rachel caught up to her and tackled her to the ground. Rachel recalls that Skylar's last word was, why? Police asked Rachel the same question, why? And Rachel's response was, we just didn't like her. After Rachel confessed, she led police to the murder site. There was snow on the ground at this point, so it was hard to locate exactly where the body was. Authorities had to wait for the snow to melt to properly investigate the area. On January 16th of 2013, the snow melted and about 40 feet from the side of the road, covered in dirt and leaves, were human remains. And I have to warn anyone listening that the condition of her body was awful. Skylar's phone was found nearby, and police used that to verify that it was in fact Skylar's phone by looking at the SD card. But it had been six months that her body had been there, so nature took its toll. Skylar's head was no longer located where the body was located, I'll leave you to determine what that means. Her skull was eventually found, and her remains were sent in for DNA testing. It wasn't until March 13th of 2013 that news broke the body found in the woods was, in fact, Skylar's body. Shockingly enough, Sheila, I guess, was trying to save herself in this moment. She tweeted three pictures of her Skylar and Rachel together with the caption, quote, The pain is real. Rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. The same day, Rachel didn't tweet, but did favor a couple other tweets expressing condolences for Skylar's family. While authorities were working on their case against Sheila and working on how they were going to try these two as adults and not juveniles, they struck a deal with Rachel. In exchange for her information and cooperation with the authorities, Rachel agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder, which has a lesser charge. During this time, between when Skylar's body was found and when charges were brought against Sheila and Rachel, Sheila continued to constantly be online. And guys, I found Sheila's Twitter page. It still exists, and it's so creepy to read some of her tweets knowing what actually happened and knowing the real timeline. Here's a couple examples. On November of 2012, Sheila tweeted, quote, No one on this earth can handle me and Rachel, and if you think you can, you're wrong. On January 21st of 2013, she tweeted, I miss my best friend. On March 31st, she tweeted, We really did go on three. And in April, she tweeted, If you only knew, you'd shit right down your leg. Also in April, she tweeted, It's so weird that people fight with their best friends. I never fight with mine. And it's like, yeah, because you kill your friends. <laughs> Sheila was finally arrested on the morning of May 1st, 2013, outside of Cracker Barrel, where she had just gotten breakfast with her mom. And of course, Sheila, being a narcissist, said, don't put me with any mean people to the police officer who arrested her, and even asked if any one of them had something she could put her hair up with. On January 24th of 2014, during what would be the girls' senior year in high school, 
Sheila was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 15 years. And the only words she spoke during the trial was yes, sir, and guilty. A month later, Rachel came in for sentencing. She did, however, have an apology to make to Skylar's parents. I'll read to you what she said. I am so sorry. I don't know if there's a proper way to make this apology because there are not even words to describe the guilt and remorse I feel each day for what I've done. The person that did that was not the real me, not the person I am, not what I'm made of, and not what I believe in. I don't think I ever thought this would ever happen. I became scared and caught up in something I did not want to do. I never realized the gravity of my actions and how many people I've hurt. I hurt the niece family and those who loved Skylar. I hurt my parents and shamed my family. I hurt my teachers and those who believed in me. And I hurt my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bring eternal peace to Skylar and the entire niece family. And I pray each day for forgiveness. Skylar's dad offered a response to this and he said, quote, Take her apologies and everything else and sit on them because that's about what they're worth. Rachel was sentenced to 30 years, being eligible for parole in 10. Although this whole situation is completely heartbreaking, Skylar's parents did turn it into something positive for future parents. Together, they established Skylar's Law in West Virginia. When Skylar initially went missing, she didn't fit the criteria for an Amber Alert. The criteria for an Amber Alert is that the child is believed to have been abducted, is under 18, may be in danger of death or serious injury, and there is sufficient evidence to indicate that an Amber Alert would be helpful in locating the child. Skylar's Law basically means that a public announcement can be made when a child is reported missing and in danger, regardless of whether or not the child was believed to be kidnapped. This family will never get their daughter back, but they can at least rest knowing who their daughter's killers were and that no other family has to wait around for the public to know that their kid has gone missing. So that's what I've got today for you guys. Tell me what you thought about this case. I think it's so crazy that these girls get so wrapped up in the pack mentality that you literally commit murder. What about this case bothers you the most and what other cases do you want me to cover? Let me know on my Twitter and Instagram pages, both at True Crime Taurus. That's True Crime, T-A-U-R-U-S. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time.